from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Reepstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein and Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Dave Reepstein, and I join you here on Sirius XM Channel 111, which I do every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and we are replayed throughout the week. And once again, I'm joined in the studio with Sunil Betty. Welcome, Sunil. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you back here. You were away on a trip. I was. I was in uh, New Hampshire. It was a little bit of camping, a little bit of hanging out with the family. Camping? You don't seem like the camping type. I'm really not the camping type. <laughs> but I will tell you, the campgrounds had air conditioning. It had a running water. So it was, it was glamping. That's not really camping, yeah. you know. Yeah. Was it good? It was a lot of fun. A lot of bugs. A lot got, of bugs. I got bit up a lot, but it was uh, it was still a lot of fun. It's not even bug season. So. I know. They love, they love my blood. And I the New Hampshire is. is supposed to still be uh, snowing or something. Yeah, you think, right? You think. Yeah. So while you were away, I snuck away at the end of last week. I went off to UCLA and uh, there was a conference out there. It's a great conference. It's called the conference uh, about? Uh, Theory and Practice of Marketing. Okay. And so it looks at sort of academic theory, but then also how do you apply all of that? And so lots of very interesting presentations. That's um, very cool. It was very, very interesting. And then um, and I, I actually I presented at it. Oh, and I one, didn't realize that. One of the things I did was I presented on uh, marketing in litigation cases. Oh, and it was it was really fun to do. So we we talked about how um, so many litigation cases today sort of involve marketing and trying to look at uh, aspects of, of marketing, and they end up get this they bring in marketing academics absolutely i remember we used to bring in experts all the time when i was at the law firm well uh, it's very cool yeah but it's sort of is fun to have someone uh, legitimize me being an expert i mean you know (laughs) that's just what i tell my kids but nobody else really believes it so that's the court court believes that was really fun but we should talk about our guest today because i'm very excited for our guest today we have uh, melissa waters who's with us and she's the vice president of marketing at lyft and so I want to make sure everybody knows about Lyft. I'm sure that they do. It's really out there uh, quite a bit, so it'll be lots of fun. So we've got two segments to the program today. In the first half of, of the program, what it is that we're going to do is we'll be talking with Melissa and understand, you know, ride sharing and, and at least car sharing is what I really should refer to it right, as. Right. And, and uh, then in the second half, we're just going to open the lines up for any conversations people want to have about anything to do with marketing, how we measure it how we think about brands or anything else that happens to be on people's minds. That's great. So it'll be really good. Let me remind the audience you're listening to Measure Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. You can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can even follow us on Twitter uh, when you're not reading the president's tweets. At uh, at Biz, that's B-I-Z Radio 111. But let's get started with Melissa Waters. Melissa, glad to have you on the air with us. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. It's great to be here. Uh, you're calling in from San Francisco, is that right? I sure am. I, I just recognized your cell number, uh, at least having a San Francisco area code. So I figure that's where you uh, you might be calling in from, maybe at your landline. Uh, I am in sunny San Francisco. Well, it's it's sunny here. You couldn't do better weather than we've got here. So ah, take that. Um, (laughs) So so, um, when did you start at Lyft? I started about 18 months ago. What were you doing before that? 
I spent about five years at Pandora before that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. What were you doing at Pandora? I was running marketing there, a variety of different marketing functions, and was the first hire of the first CMO at Pandora to help build and scale that organization from ground zero. Wow. Well, you did a great job. Uh, Pandora is a great, great brand. So, uh, and, and actually a different sort of business, obviously very different than Lyft. So I find that interesting. What's your role now at Lyft? I run marketing. You run marketing. marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I think it's, it's in so many ways very different than the challenge you had when you were at Pandora, because at Pandora... I don't know if you were the pioneer, but you sort of seemed like you were the pioneer and, and sort of providing music to people online and, and free music for people online. And you could, you know, customize what sort of songs you want to listen to. And now you're not the pioneer. And it's sort of as interesting. I, I'd be curious as your perspective of sort of the difference between being the pioneer and, uh, and, and being a quick follower here. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about Lyft, which most people don't know, is that we actually founded ride sharing. So you, you, Uber, you, wow, you did! Uber I, I started, didn't, I didn't did, realize yeah. that. Most uh, people don't know that. So Uber started the category of black car service and trying to democratize black car service and getting that, making that accessible to folks. And when Lyft started, we founded the first peer-to-peer ride sharing service. So we, our original tagline was "Your friend with a car." And we were in the business in those early days of introducing people to a behavior that their mothers and fathers had told them their entire lives to never do, which is get in the car with a stranger. And right. in those early right. Yeah. Right? Uh, and in those early days, we were out trying to evangelize and democratize the idea of um, transportation being something everybody could have access to. And we founded peer-to-peer ride sharing, which uh, Uber followed us in that initial offering. So I, I find it very intriguing that you you acknowledge that most people don't recognize that you preceded Uber, and mm-hmm. I I agree with you. I think that's right. Um, I'm curious why you think that is. I think it's very simply that um, when they started the category of um, of democratizing black car service, they had been around for several years before we started. So people knew Uber as a black car service, and therefore it was an app that people already had on their phones. People were utilizing it. So when we started peer-to-peer, um, we were entering a new space and teaching people a new behavior, but we were doing so in the landscape of them already being in the market. Huh. So I, I'm, I'm sure what's curious to me about that is I don't know how many people were using black car. I know Sunil was a regular black car user. I was. But, I was. But uh, for most of us in, in the uh, plebeian ranks, we end up using the peer-to-peer service. And so it's it's funny. I suspect that most people would say that Uber preceded Lyft in the peer-to-peer ride-sharing. That's right, because they had distribution well beyond, well before we did. So when they started doing peer-to-peer alongside us when we launched, uh, you know, right after we launched, because they had distribution of their other product, I think they just got credit for offering the product that we offered first, which wasn't the case. So, um, you know, it's just a classic distribution challenge, really. Yeah, intriguing that you use the term distribution. So uh, many people may not know what you're referring to in this context. When you say distribution, what is it you really mean here? Because we're not like selling through supermarkets or anything. Right, but the same principle applies around, you know, are you available when I need you, where I need you? 
So distribution in the supermarket sense is when I walk into a supermarket is the cereal I'm looking for that I just saw an advertisement about on the shelf. And, you know, the CPG or consumer packaged goods industries live and die by distribution because you can market all you want. But if you're not available where I want to go buy, where the customer wants to go buy your product, then, you know, you can't, can't, um, they can't purchase it. And it's the same principle here. So, you know, Uber was on people's phones. It had a black car service out in market before we launched peer-to-peer. And so when we started peer-to-peer here in San Francisco, um, you know, almost six years ago, we were doing so in a climate in which there were a lot of people and our, our customer in the Bay Area specifically had already been using Uber. So they had distribution of their app, they had distribution of their name, and they had brand recognition. So when we started peer-to-peer ride-sharing, uh, we were doing so, you know, in a space in which people were getting a, uh, acclimatized to the idea of getting in cars uh, through an app on their phone, but they were to be, had originally been taught to do so through uh, Uber's distribution. Uh, so I, I'm sort of curious, how many people do you think happen to have uh, both apps now that have Uber and have Lyft? The majority of folks have both. Yeah, that's what, that's what I would think. And of that majority, um, do you have any sense of, given that you're on somebody's phone and you're sharing uh, with Uber, what percent of it you happen to capture? We Well, we've, we capture a lot, and we've captured even more over the last year, as you might imagine. So right. the past uh, 18 months have been a really booming time for our business, and we've not only because of just what I think the first – thought is what's going on in, in culture and what people have been hearing about in the news. But really the reason for that is because of the thing we were just talking about a moment ago, which is distribution. We were actually only available uh, when I started 18 months ago. We were really focused in our top 20 markets. And in 2017, um, you know, the plan going into the year, which was the plan before everything happened in the news, uh, the plan going into the year was to bring our service to serve all 50 states and to launch in Canada, which we completed at the end of 2017. And uh, that that really is distribution. It's making sure that in the places in which somebody wants to get a list, that we're available, that we have good service levels, that you don't have to wait long for a car, um, and you have a great driver. And so we spent 2017 laying uh, the groundwork to go state by state and make sure we were serving all the populations that we would like to so, serve. So, and so now when you're talking about, uh, about distribution, and it, it's what I thought you were talking about earlier when you said distribution, is the availability of drivers. Mm-hmm. And um, and so to – I mean, there was the distribution previously. Anybody could download uh, the app, but there wasn't the distribution of drivers. And what are the challenges that – uh, you really didn't have at Pandora uh, of sort of two-sided marketing. You have to get the drivers, and so you have to mm-hmm. appeal to the drivers, and you have to get the riders. And it's sort of – you can't get the dri- ri- drivers without the riders, and you can't get the riders without the drivers. So it, talk us through that process and how you have to deal with that. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, dual-sided marketplaces are, are real and, uh, right. and, and challenging and – that you have two customer bases, and in this case, two very different customer bases. So that's challenge one, is that you're talking to, you have to run parallel marketing processes for two different customers, but that they are also um, not necessarily overlapping. Um, And not only, you know, 
is is that a, a challenge as a marketer is that you you definitely have to run two different plans and do two different sets of activities. Um, but I would say the other big thing that you touched on around, you know, this is different than your days at Pandora is that this is a here and now real time business. People are standing on a street corner looking for a driver and looking for a car to be able to get where they need to go. And so this all this market balancing dynamic of making sure you have enough drivers and you have enough passengers happens granularly today uh, across the country and, and now in two countries. So uh, for us, at least. And, and so that's the other dimension that's different is not just the, the dynamic of a dual sided marketplace, but also the here and now of this business, which is highly operational. Yeah. So two aspects of it that I think are absolutely fascinating, which is the dual marketing um, and, and then the, the here and now. Uh, which is another interesting problem that we have. Let me remind our audience that we're currently speaking with Melissa Waters, who is the Vice President of Marketing at Lyft, and you're listening to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. And you can call us and you can talk to Melissa or to Sunil or I at 1-844-WARDEN. That's 1-844-942-7866. Don't call if you need a ride, but call if you have some questions. We'll be glad to try and answer them for you. So um, what I'm not sure people, and I'm not sure when, when I say I'm not sure people, I'm referring to me, uh, have a f- clear understanding of what your marketing is. So how do you market first to the driver's? And and then I can imagine it's very very different than the marketing that you do to the uh, writers. So, uh, talk about both of those. Sure. So for our drivers, you know, we've because we've been around near, nearly six years now. We actually have a pretty good handle on who our segments are and where to find them, and who is really interested in driving for Lyft and for ride sharing. And so we go through a really specific. Um, process of, of going after our target audience. And the things that are most interesting to people when they're entering this category to be a driver are the flexibility, namely, that's the first thing, um, and the the ability to make money in the here and now. So they're looking for people are, you know, we have such a wide range of amazing people who drive on our platform. Um, we've got people who are looking to make extra cash on the side and they're doing some, you know, they're maybe working full-time or in another part-time job. We've got people who do this for their full-time employment. We've got people who are trying to certainly put food on the table, but we've also got folks who are trying to save up for a vacation. You've got all manner of, of different use cases in which people are uh, utilizing ride-sharing and utilizing driving for a lift in order to meet their goals. But I would say that that's the, the number one thing that we've uncovered in, in certainly my time here is that these are entrepreneurs. These are people who are trying to meet goals, and everybody has a goal that they're working towards. So the thing that's been so um, much fun and so fascinating for me in this role is to be able to talk with folks about how to meet their goals. And so we do this by targeting and finding people who are out looking for that employment, but we also do it through onboarding them into the product. So we build the product in a way that helps them meet the goals that they've come to the product to, to establish and to accomplish. Um, and so, yes, we do a tremendous amount of work to acquire drivers, to cultivate drivers, to, um, to ensure that they're getting the right experience from us uh, when they get on the platform and that we're meeting their needs and expectations. And that's a huge amount of work. Uh, and then on the passenger side, you know, we're trying to simply build awareness of Lyft, you know. But, but Melissa, can we – I, I want to cut you off before we get to the passenger side. So I, I, think, sure. you, I think that y- your market segmentation and, you know, the right the, – the targeting and knowing, you know, who that driver is going to be 
seems right on. But I guess my question is, how are you reaching out to that driver? Are, are you advertising? Is it through social media? We are. What exactly yeah. kind of marketing is allowing you to reach that segment? Yeah, we do really specific targeted marketing and everything from, um, you know, certainly using social channels, job boards, places where people are going to look for employment. Um, we're certainly doing all of that. And we've also started testing out new channels that um, perhaps are a little bit broader reach. We use some out of home. We've used um, some very specific, highly targeted television. Um, we do uh, a wide range of media that is that is highly targeted against the segment and the demo that we're looking for when we go out and try to um, acquire drivers. So, so yes, it's, it's, lots so, and lots of work across the board. So how do you assess which of those are working for you? Yeah, I mean, well, digital channels are a lot easier, as you guys right, know, right. marketers. Um, and then you get into the world of offline, which is harder to harder to you know attribute. But we do some really smart testing uh, where we do all sorts of different match market and holdout groups and um, you know various different techniques to be able to measure the ROI on our marketing investment. Tricky, but possible. Uh, and with you know a lot of there's been a lot of technology lately that has been developed in order for that to be more possible than before. So a lot of A-B testing that we've talked about on the air several times in previous programs. But yeah, A-B it, testing, holdout groups, match right. market testing. There's a, there's a range of different uh, techniques that you can use to measure that ROI. And as you find one approach that works better than the other, you, I assume you channel much more of your money to that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, But I assume also that that's not linear. That is, uh, you know, I I find that out-of-home marketing keeps working so well, but as I continue to spend and spend on out-of-home marketing, it it has a diminishing effect. Yeah, I mean, I think that we, you know, I'll, I'll give you my point of view as a marketer, a marketer in tech and in today's marketing landscape, which is, um, you know, there's headlines all the time about how hard the CMO's job is these days and how challenging marketing is today. Um, you know, I keep coming back to the fact that, you know, yes, we're awash in data. Yes, we have so many channels in which to reach a customer. Yes, we have myriad of choices that make this job hard. But really, the fundamentals of technology and all that it enables us to do don't change the fact that we're still talking to people. And we're still trying to deliver a message to them. And so if you go back to the very earliest days of marketing principles around, you know, reaching your customers where they are and making sure that you are delivering a message frequently and that you're remaining top of mind for them, it's going to lead you down a path of making sure that you have a mix of of activity and that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket and that you are um, utilizing a, a portfolio approach. I I always talk to my teams about, um, I think of brand building and marketing kind of like I think about portfolio of investments. So you talk about when you want to retire, when you think about, you know, building an investment portfolio, you think about when you want to retire and how much savings you're going to need for that. And you mix your portfolio depending on the time horizon that you're solving for. And I think of marketing kind of similarly. Are we trying to transact today? Are we trying to transact this month? Are we trying to transact over a longer course of time? And you've got a brand build at the same time that you drive, uh, you know, consideration and then therefore transaction. Sure. I, I, I actually want to get to that in just a little bit. Um, I, I am curious, uh, you know, one of the things that I would think would be a really important measure for you 
is uh, driver retention. So I'm trying to think mm-hmm. about that side of the equation and driver retention. Um, but it's it's got to be hard for you to tell what your retention l- level is. It turns out, you know, if Sunil's a driver uh, for you, uh, he hasn't been driving for the last three, four days. And, you know, is he still on board or mm-hmm. has he gone up to New Hampshire to go camping? So we don't know. <laughs> uh, so um, how do you – do you – I assume you really do look at driver retention pretty closely. But how do you track whether or not they're still – you know, part of the system and part of your uh, distribution. Yeah, I think that's that's a critical point, and retention is is really really important. Not only because it helps us understand our customer and what they want, so it would help us understand in that case if Sunil is, um, you know, has churned because of something that happened, or if he's just churned because he circumstantially doesn't need the product right now, or if he's you know, just a customer, but hasn't, you know, hasn't considered us in a while. Like there's a lot of reasons the way to to kind of frame the way you would think about retention. Um, And I, I, so first off, we do a lot to measure retention and we look at it um, not only by the behaviors that somebody's exhibiting, but also the sentiment about how they feel. So how do you catch that? How do you catch their sentiment? Well, we think about, we talk a lot about NPS here, Net Promoter Score. We talk a lot about um, customer satisfaction and we do a lot of tracking to ensure that the behaviors and patterns that somebody has experienced on our platform don't show that they had some sort of negative interaction with us. And if we do see that, we really try to get in there and make sure that we um, course correct for anything that has potentially gone wrong with the customer. So, so, instance, so now you're talking about the customer. Do you do that on the driver side also? Do you create a do. net promoter score for your drivers? We do. Awesome. We do. Yes. Because you know, you're thinking about that as one of the sides of your market. So that's really uh, fascinating to do. Uh, so, Well, it's, it's for a really important reason, yeah. Dave, because our our drivers are delivering our service every day to our passengers. So really, if you get to the heart of this business and, and any marketplace, but think about it for a second, the marketplace here, the driver is our ambassador and they're talking to our passengers every day. If you, you know, um, kind of the other big marketplace that a lot of people think of is Amazon or eBay or other places where people are buying and selling goods. But what if you put the buyer and seller uh, into a room together? You know, there would be a lot to say about how does Amazon treat you? How do you feel about it? How does eBay treat you? How do you feel about it? People are in cars every day together having this conversation. How do you like driving for Lyft? What do they do for you? So really, we take great care in ensuring that we treat our drivers really well that we um, take good care of them so that they, in turn, deliver a great experience to our passengers. No, I think that's think That's an that's important right. nuance. Yep. I, I think that's such an important part of the experience. I always have a conversation with my driver, and uh, it, it makes the difference in how I feel about that particular ride for sure. Um, let's talk about the consumer side. What, what's your approach to marketing to get more passengers? Yeah. So uh, we've spent a lot of time over the last you know year and a half looking at awareness and and awareness as being a driver to introduce people into the category and and bring them into consideration and then of, of course trial um, and Lyft has has taken a very methodical approach to growth. So as I mentioned at the beginning of um, our our time together about how we really in 2017 we're going out and making sure that we were available in all the places you wanted us to be available we took that methodical approach to growth because we're wanting to make sure we can provide the right service and that we have the right service levels and and that we're setting the right expectations for our customers our passengers so 
Um, we focused a lot on awareness, and that has led us into some broader reach channels, but that's to us an okay thing because we're still at the very beginning stages of ride sharing. Ride sharing today as a total category only accounts for 0.5% of miles driven on the road today. Really? So if you, yeah, so if we're so, you know, in our early adopter states, uh, we're so used to this behavior that we don't think about, um, you know, how early we still are in this category. So broad awareness building through earned media and through um, paid media and various different channels is still really important to us because we're building our brand and we're building an awareness of our category. So I, I'm curious, uh, what percent of the of the miles are uh, ride sharing in uh, the Bay Area? That's a good question. I don't have that sliced by Bay Area data. I'm sure it's bigger. Uh, you know, it's a it's a greater number than 0.5. I'm sure 0.5 is is the aggregate of the nation, and so therefore it's brought down by um, the more rural and suburban areas that are uh, using it a little less. Um, I, so I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it's still, you know, there's still tremendous headroom even in a market like San Francisco where the, a certain set of the population is using it very frequently. Yeah, it's amazing to me how abundant it is everywhere in San Francisco. I go to San Francisco quite a bit, and it seems like, you know, there, it's ride-sharing everywhere. Uh, which, are, are you, by the way, being challenged by all the bike-sharing and scooter-sharing uh, that I see now on the West Coast? Yes, it's the new ride-sharing 2.0 over here. I know. I can't believe the competition of that. It's, like, amazing. It is. It is. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, we love the spirit of innovation here in the Bay Area. So seeing all these new companies pop up is, is keeping us all, um, you know, kind of on the forefront of what's going on. And, and we love to see consumers have more choice about how to get around. You're not behind those uh, that campaign to throw the scooters into the Bay Area. No, no I, okay, just just kidding, just kidding on that. Uh, so, so, so actually, you were sort of walking me through a purchase funnel when you said we worry about awareness, consideration, then trial, and then obviously the one you didn't mention, but the the big one is, is sort of retention or repeat. Um, I assume you do different levels, different types of marketing for each one of those levels in the funnel. We yeah. do. We do. Yeah, we do broad awareness building through a number of channels. And then as you get into the consideration set, um, we got to go to points of consideration. And we know this category is highly driven by key moments of consideration. Like I want to go out at night and I don't want to have to park. I want to go out at night and I want to have a drink and I don't want to get home. Um, you know, I, wanna dr- I don't want to drive um, and I want to get home safely. Um, you know, I need to get to the airport and I would prefer to use a ride sharing service. So there's key points of consideration for the category that we really double down on. Um, but we also know, as I mentioned earlier in our discussion around the driver's side, I still am a huge believer that a mix of channels is going to give people uh, more top of mind awareness because we're going to be, you know, in front of them in multiple occasions. So I'm still looking at broad awareness. I'm looking at points of consideration and then, of course, points of conversion. Where can we meet people when they're trying to transact? And um, that is really, you know, finding those high intent use cases that I just mentioned and then making sure we're there. So, for instance, we spend a lot of time looking at uh, places where people go out and making sure that when you're leaving a stadium or you're leaving a bar or you're leaving, um, you know, an airport, that we're right in front of you and that we're able to remind you about us right when you're trying to transact. So one of the best ways I think you have of reminding people that you're there is uh, the bright purple light in the cars. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the thinking behind that? And which, by the way, I think is really clever because it shows up very, very well. Uh, so, Thank you. Um, yeah. you know, what was the thinking behind that? And, and I assume you consider it to be working quite well. We do. It's our amp, um, and it we do. We love that product very much, and that is a product that was um, born out of our marketing organization, and we look after it every day. And it is a, you know, it, it was really conceived around a few things. One, that we want to ensure that people see us and that they know where Lyft is and that we are demonstrating availability. So that's, you know, kind of if you put on your CPG marketer, uh, it's like that power moment you have with the end cap on the end of the aisle. You know, you're like about to head into the cereal aisle and there's a big Cheerios display and it's, you know, yelling at you as you enter the cereal aisle and you're more likely to pick it up. It's, It's that kind of end cap mentality. We want people to be able to see us on the streets. We want people to know that we're available. We want people to be able to, um, you know, really recognize the lift is is a, is around and available. And then it also solves a really specific, um, interesting thing that you may not think about much, but we think about a lot, which is uh, there's a lot of time needed to ensure that you get your get matched with your right car. So. We, when you go out and you leave, you know, an airport and you're standing in queue and you're waiting for your car, we want to make sure that you see us, that you understand that it's a lift, uh, that you're matched with your driver, and um, it shaves seconds off of their pickup time and your wait time, and the driver's pickup time and the passenger's wait time. And so that, uh, what we love about the AMP is that it's a device that is, uh, has the ability to scale to all manner of different product offerings. And what we're looking at, you know, over its, you know, the course of its roadmap is to be able to ensure that we can match you with dynamic color matching. So if your amp is burning green and and on your phone the screen is green, it can match you more quickly than you know the person next to you has got a purple amp and the person down the down the way has an orange amp. So we it gives us some flexibility to try to match people in crowded locations, um, which we think is a great utility. It also has an interior screen that can say, hello, Dave, you know, right. welcome to Lyft. And it can say, you know, welcome to your first ride. It gives us some communication as well on the interior of the car to, to bring some hospitality. So, so you don't have screen. to be looking for the license plate and try and match that. I know that I've, right. got, I've got a fuchsia and I'm looking for it. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's uh, very, very clever as well. So I, I appreciate uh, doing that. Um, I'm curious, given that uh, that – Ride-sharing is only 0.5 of 1% of all miles driven. Are most of your efforts designed to increase penetration, or is it market share? Yeah, so we, you know, our our mission here is ultimately to reinvent cities around people, not cars. So we see the opportunity as, you know, category level and making sure people are moving to a place where they um consider ride sharing as an alternative to car ownership and car usage. So um, we're really focused on the promise of the category and that, that gives us a lot of focus around here to make sure that we're available in all the places and, and ways that you want us um, so that you can use Lyft anytime you need us. So we're thinking about category growth. So Melissa, when you're thinking about category growth, I, I wonder, and you kind of started off your interview by telling us, um, you know, you, you know, your, our parents always told us don't get into cars with strangers. Um, you know, I kind of saw I was a very early adopter of car sharing. I've been using it since 2009, 10. Um, I initially was very, 
very you know amenable to getting in the car. It, it worked. Uh, but more recently, you know, there's been kind of a lot of crises associated, whether it's your company or your competitors, about people having kinds of these uh, uh, you know bad experiences in terms of being stalked or now the driver knows where I live or where I work, um, which I would think would depress you know the general demand for uh, for the category. So how do you think about you know when these crises come to the actual whole category? How do you think about either you know distinguishing yourself from your competitor or you know really kind of bolstering and making sure that people in the category feel safe and feel like this is this is still an important uh, uh, um, you know uh, an important endeavor to be to be using? I completely agree with you, and we spend a lot of time here thinking about safety, and it is absolutely something that if if people can't feel safe in a lift and in a rideshare experience, then that's not good for anybody. So um, we we spend a lot of time ensuring safety. We spend a lot of time working on how we'll continue to push on safety, um, and it is absolutely top of mind because it is the thing that must be true in order for people to be able to utilize the, us and the category. Yeah, it's, it's got to be something that uh, as Uber gets a, a, uh, assaulted for it, uh, and the press, it, it's got to have some spillover, and I think that's part of what uh, Sunil was talking about, that you know you need to work to differentiate yourself, and it sounds like you absolutely are doing that. I'm curious, before we run out of time, I wanted to ask you, trying to think about what it is that you're doing sort of uh, down the horizon and, and how it is you sort of envision your growth has come through your geographic growth, and now what you're trying to do is penetrate the market even deeper. But I'm wondering, is there a category growth also that you're going to go to? So right now you're ride sharing. Um, have you thought about other sort of sharing that you could do with the technology and uh, and take advantage of that? Yeah, it's a good question. We we really don't think of other types of sharing at this point. We we look at the opportunity ahead of us for this category, and we're still you know young, you know, not even six years old yet. So. We believe that there's still so much left to be done within the category we operate that we spend all of our time thinking about how to make sure that we're delivering a safe, available, um, quick, affordable product for anybody who wants to use it. So that's that's where all of our time is spent today. But uh, I know that we will we will take on new challenges down the line once we've uh, you know really seen this category evolve to the full growth potential that it has. Well, I think there's uh, there's lots of promise in it in many ways that you could be going. It's, it is actually quite amazing how it is that, uh, that you have grown and done very, very well. And what I hear you saying, by the way, is that the way you try and differentiate yourself is not just through price, but you also do it by just being available. And, uh, and where it is that... Uh, the, the customers' experiences are and how quickly they could find you and the convenience that's there. As, as you were talking about driver matching, by the way, so that I, I can find my driver, I'm wondering when you're going to go to the next level of Dave is a marketing professor. I want to give him a, a driver who could talk marketing. So mm. I think that sort of is the next level of trying to do that matching. So uh, that's the next challenge for you. I like that idea, Dave. Thank you. Okay, Melissa, thank you very much for joining us. We are going to need to take a break, but please do stay with us. When we get back, 
Uh, Sunil and I will be taking your calls on anything marketing, branding, and metrics in the last uh, 20 minutes of the program. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or send us an email at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. This is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111.